Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here and I have found Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. We're back. We're together. <laughs> oh, man. Did you miss me? No, not really. Oh, I want to say I missed you, but I went. Yeah, you know, I did. Actually, I tried to uh, bring a couple other people in here, but it just wasn't the same. I, I missed uh, being able to come in your office, though, and lay on your couch and have some, you know, those uh, beers and tears moments as a startup founder. We need to get caught up on that. Well, speaking of beers and tears, man, have you seen what's been going on in the retail industry? Hang on a second. I need to buy something on my phone. Okay. While Matt searches for something on the Amazon app, I want to go ahead and let everyone listening know that the U.S. retail business or industry employs 29 million people. That's a lot. Uh, I'm done. I bought some diapers. That was fast. Yeah. So you didn't have to go to a store to do that? No. And Amazon has awesome diaper wipes, baby what? wipes, by the way. And they do. And you know what was amazing about that is how quick and convenient it was for you to do that. Yeah. You know what isn't fast and convenient? Driving to the store. Yeah, especially with three kids. And especially some of the stores that you got to go into that might be a madhouse. So, you know, we wanted to stretch out the, the subject matter here. And we spent a lot of time talking about software and different kinds of startups. But we really should hit retail because out of the 29 million retail jobs in the U.S., 40% are for companies that and businesses that employ less than 50 people, which is also 99% of total retail operations. Well, and a lot of uh, new jobs in this country are created by small businesses, right? right for the same same, uh, same thing there. And I, I read a story recently. It was about some little town. I don't remember where it was. Um, that had rallied and fought and fought against ever getting Walmart. Yeah, like I, li- I lived every, in one at one point. At, they fought tooth and nail mm-hmm. and prevented Walmart from ever coming to their town. Well, now their little um, downtown and stuff that had continued to thrive because of it is all shutting down because of e-commerce. So they that. survived yeah. Walmart, but they can't survive. And there's nothing they can do, right? I mean, the the mayor, the the city council, there's nothing they can do to prevent people from ordering stuff on Amazon. But they could prevent Walmart from coming to town. You know, I used to live in Durango, Colorado many moons ago, and I, I watched them go through that. And it took Walmart eight years to get in there. And there was kind of a split opinion over it. A lot of people were happy because it had better jobs. That paid a little more and had things like healthcare right, and yeah. stuff like that that a lot of small like little retail operations might not offer. And then there was the people that felt like it was going to be disastrous on the town, which, by the way, it was. Like most of the small businesses closed up. Now, I, I you know, since we're all about startups, you know what we need to do? We need to figure out a really, really good startup idea to backfill into all these empty Toys R Us stores. Yeah, like well, maybe like go kart tracks or something. What well, do you think? It, it's funny you mentioned that because did you know that retail as an industry is actually up year over year? It's up something like yeah, five point four percent. That sounds about right. My wife spends a lot of money. I don't know if she's driving the entire multi billion dollar industry now. Retail spending is thirty percent of all spending. That sounds about right. That's about what my 
probably Amazon budget is probably about 30%. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the case. Well, congratulations, Matt. You've put several million people out of business. Wait a second. There's like some guy from Amazon Prime that comes to my house every day and he's got a job. Well, there you go. Well, you know, and and technically a lot of that does count as retail, but you know, from the outside looking in, it's pretty easy to feel like retail's in this massive state of decline. And then you look at the numbers. Now, here's the thing is some of these numbers are still being accounted for from places like Amazon. That is still on some levels, it's more of e-commerce, but some of these, uh, you know, big box chains still fall into the retail section. So you're seeing a lot of shuttering, uh, merging and downsizing. It's been kind of crazy. And this has been going on like this for a long time. Well, and I think as shoppers, we've finally turned the corner on this. You know, even back five years ago or so, I, I, I knew I could order something on Amazon, but I still get in, I couldn't get past that itch of like, I want it right now. And like, I'll drive all over town to go find something that I know if I order it on Amazon, it'll show up in like two days. But I think I've gotten past that. Now I'm used to the like, oh, I'll click the button and the shit will randomly show up in like three days. <laughs> yeah, and then like random two, stuff. Or maybe like, even, yeah, or maybe even later. Sometimes the same day. And, and and soon a drone may come drop it off on your front porch but if it's light enough. But I'm to the point now, like I was on vacation last week. We're in San Antonio at the mall. And I'm in the Lego store with my son. And my son's like, oh, dad, this Lego set is really cool. And the only thing I can think about is I'm not taking that shit on the plane. Home. Right. But I can go on Amazon (laughs) or Lego's website, right? And I can order that and ship it to my house. There's an interesting dichotomy that exists because you you look at a a chain like Best Buy, which for years was just referred to as Amazon's showroom. I don't know how they survive either. Well, they figured some of it out. And uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that soon. But, you know, at the same time, something like Toys R Us going out of business actually does affect places like Amazon because people don't have a place to go and hold products in their hand. Well, and so Toys R Us sold something like $11 billion less up a year, right? So if you're- I think they owe their vendors about that much too. So if you're Mattel or, Mm -hmm. or one of these big toy companies, that's a lot of lost revenue to them unless- they can get those same sales through another channel. It was also a huge testing ground for those uh, toy manufacturers because they were able to put the stuff out and see the reactions that they got before they determined whether or not they were going to make 8 million G.I. Joes. Right. So I mean, you, you can go to Target, you can get seven different G.I. Joes, but Toys R Us had 37 different. So if you, if you bought a marked up Hatchimal, was that, that was two years ago, which I did, and it was pretty fun to watch that thing hatch. My kid loved it. but And then he threw it away. But those manufacturers aren't going to ha- – no, we still have it. Yeah, it's a purple bird. We call them Big Owl. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's my really kids are like mesmerized by it, so it was a great investment because it keeps them busy. Um, yeah, you can apparently like train those things and do a lot of stuff that we know. Your kids did. don't play with any of their toys. I don't care what you say. I'm bringing over like three truckloads of toys. They to play with the boxes. Yeah, that's the funny part, too. So if Toys R Us had done a better job of selling empty boxes, they might sell That's why Amazon is so brilliant. You get all these empty cardboard boxes. Man, that's a whole other topic. So so I think that what we're seeing right now, what's been going on, and I'm not sure that it ever really stopped, is just it's Darwinistic. Like businesses have been evolving or not evolving and failing for years. But this isn't any different than any other startup that's trying to figure out how to compete in their vertical or niche, right? Sure. If you want to start a retail business and you got to compete against Amazon, that's not any different than Stackify trying to figure out how to compete against New Relic or AppDynamics or whoever, right? I mean, 
there's still the big gorilla in, in the room you got to figure out how to deal with. Well, you can consider the cowardly approach. And there's a whole lot of other things. Now, me personally, I actually love small business. Like it's, it's, I'm more passionate about small business than I am about medium or big companies. And part of the reason is they have a level of maneuverability and flexibility that these big companies don't have. And let's take a second and talk about what some of the reasons are that these big chains are failing. You know what? It's prominent to what Sears. Is Sears even in business anymore? I used to work at Sears. That's right. I sold computers at Sears. That's right. That's where you met the person that you ended up starting. Yeah. So that was a pretty good job. If you look back at it, you got paid pretty well. It was pretty good. We talked about that million dollar bedroom you were uh, mentioning. uh, And someday when you read it, you will once again be able to (laughs) relive the experience of selling uh, digital cameras that had a 3.5 inch floppy. And them. But to your point, Sears is all but gone now, too. Right. And, you know, the, the thing, I think Lowe's sells more appliances now than Sears. Well, not, sure they're they like do. real close. Yeah. Like I, they've overtaken Sears yeah. for that. The only thing I've ever gone to Sears for in the last decade is because they have really great toolboxes for your garage. And that's like the only place I could get it. But when I went in there, my God, it was like, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not surprised they failed. It looked terrible in there. It was it was just it was really not good. So Amazon's put a lot of pressure on people. But there's some other reasons that these chains are failing. One of the big ones is they have bloated expense structures. They've got these, you know, 50,000 square foot or 100,000 square foot stores and they don't own the buildings. They've got to pay rent on these places or whatever. And they have these, uh, you know, I talked about the lack of flexibility or ability to change things. Um, Well, you know, have you been to a mall lately? Yeah, last week. Was it busy? Uh, Nope. When I was in Cebu, the mall was easily the busiest place in the world, but they're at least in that world. But I also think that that economy is kind of operating on like 12 years ago rules. So they're probably in for the same thing. But, you know, when I was working a lot in Vegas last year, I was literally going and working with my client in these quarterly intervals. And every time I went, there was a couple more uh, stores in the mall that were gone. Yeah. And and it went with the anchors. It was JCPenney's. And then JCPenney's, the next time I went back, was actually half boarded up. Like they literally built a partition down the middle of JCPenney's. It looked terrible. And then Sears closed. And I was just like, wow, you know, and the, and the thing that was kind of crazy was the mall was holding my client's feet to the fire trying to get a higher rent. Yeah, I was actually at two malls last week. One of them was out was more of an outdoor style mall. And it was probably the largest one of those I've ever seen. If you walked from one end to the other, it had to be easily half a mile or something like it went on and on and on. Were you shopping for a cowboy hat? Uh, we actually went there just to eat dinner. Did you buy a cowboy hat in no, Texas? No, no. And they didn't, they didn't give me a gun when I showed up either. I told you. You said they'd, that I'd get a gun when I showed up in it's Texas. It's optional. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a completely see, different topic, though. I did see that. That's a that's a part of retail that might be changing yeah. a little as well. But I thought I'd just get like an AR-15 when I got off the plane. But no, yeah. all right, no, that would have been a bad decision. Much like the ones that some of these big retailers have made too. You know, here's the thing: as a business owner, as a startup or a big company, or any, you always the one thing you can always count on is that things will change. And so many of these companies just did not evolve with the times. So for our listeners that are, have a product, you know, want to do something with e-commerce or retail, um, what suggestions do you have for them? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, first off, 
regardless of the size of your business or what you do, you should always be looking to increase your level of efficiency. You know, be able to do things better, faster, and cheaper than your competition. Um, don't put yourself in bloated expense situations. Don't make commitments that are incredibly lengthy. Now, you know, I have a little bit of experience in retail back when I was still employable, <laughs> which was a long time ago. I used to uh, be what was called a zone manager, which meant uh, for a retail chain, we had 17 locations. So I was in charge of one third of 17 different stores. And that retail chain went out of business, but it went out of business for different reasons than some of the ones now. They actually got sued and the company that owned them decided to liquidate them. But, you know, throughout that process, I watched a ton of bad decisions occur. I watched a, a very, very, uh, uh, poor shrink control. You familiar with the term shrink stolen? Well, stolen, broken, lost, right. Just not sellable right. after being received as sellable. And you know, that happens a lot. And, um, you know, people are all worried about shoplifting. Honestly, the thing I learned from retail management is your employees are more likely to rob you blind than your customers are. And that particular chain selling musical instruments, you could walk out the back door with a $3,000 guitar. And that was kind of rough. So, you know, a lot of so these, you had a lot of problems with shrinkage. Yes. Yes. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Um, there's a lot of things I didn't say just now. But you, <laughs> talking about uh, poor management of shrinkage, think about how hard it is to keep track of everything that's inside of a Lowe's. Sounds really hard. It's miserable, man. Like the, <laughs> the worst thing ever in that retail chain that I worked for was when we did inventory and it, you know, it's just like keeping up with it. At one point uh, we realized that we had a quarter million SKUs. This was a musical instrument retail chain. We had a quarter, 250,000 different SKUs that were just sheet music. And we literally did the math and we determined that counting it was actually in many ways more expensive than just liquidating it. That sounds like a terrible idea to have that many different SKUs. Right. Well, every every single song was a different barcode because yeah, it needed terrible. to be. And so we sold it for like 25 I, cents a pound. I feel like the key to success, if you're a startup and you want to have some sort of retail business, is finding a niche. I agree. You got to find a niche. Like you don't go to Amazon because it's the best place to buy a guitar or the best place to buy shoes or the it's not the best place to buy anything. Well, you know, right? here's, here's the thing, too, is if you're going to open a retail startup, um, selling things that aren't easily shippable is a good place to start. Sure. Because if you're selling, like, would you want to open a record store right now? <laughs> what is a record? Exactly. That's what my wife said to me a few years back. And when I, I asked her if she'd ever had a record player when she was younger, and she said, how old are you? Yeah. Well, apparently a little older than she is. So... Still talking about some of that stuff, you know, the relationships with, that you have with your vendors can be pretty important as well. Um, that is something that I think a lot of retailers have. If you are, if you have a retail startup and you're trying to grow a business, like you should really be focused on a very small number of products and the ones that generate the highest margin. And you're better off to be doing more business with fewer vendors than buying one product a month from 20 different vendors that aren't going to give you the time of day. 
Well, and I think that's that's who is uh, winning against Toys R Us, right? It's the little bitty toy stores that have like all the kind of cool and weird toys. Right. Like we have a local one. I'm sure you've been there. Fat brain toys. Yeah. There's learning. And it's just tree like learning, and, learning yeah, stuff. And, and, you know, I feel a lot better about going. They don't to, even have GI Joe's. Right. 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 And they have a bunch of stuff. The last time I went there, they had a bunch of stuff that my under three-year-old child was certain to choke on. So <laughs> I didn't have a great experience there, but I did buy a ukulele. For but they, the they figured out a way to compete against Toys R Us and stuff and be a little more boutique. Well, they're providing, they're providing some value too in the regards that, you know, I can go in there and I can talk to someone that isn't, that actually wants to be at the store. <laughs> Do people work at Toys R Us? Well, they, that's, you know, one of the things that, that I, you know, I'm thinking about is like, you look at some of these chains and it's just like the people that work there, they don't want to be there. They don't care about helping you. There's it's no, like, there's no added value to going to the store. It's actually a, a, like it's a devalue because you have your time, your effort, your gas, your mileage, right. and then they might not even have what you want when you get there. And then trying to find someone to help you, you know, there's six people over in the corner, I'll shoot in the shit, but no one wants to come give you a hand. I mean, if you're going to have the retail startup, be customer centric. I mean, those are the, that's the lifeblood of that business right. yep. without a doubt. Now, yep. it, you know, another thing too, is running a, a clean and efficient e-commerce store. Um, can, you know, your, your e-commerce entity of your business is open 24 hours a day. And if you do it right, you can really be really efficient. You can create very targeted marketing campaigns that, you know, bring people straight to the page that you want to buy stuff for. And you, the ability to open a really slick and functional online store through platforms like Shopify and stuff is just so easy now. Well, and you had a lot of experience with this, right? You you helped a uh, another company that did online consignment business. I did. You helped streamline their whole business, right? Yeah, they, that business had grown so quickly that the amount of people that were bringing in, it was a shoe consignment place, and they were bringing in shoes, and they literally had started to pile up because their ability to take the product in and get it up on the shelves wasn't efficient enough compared to the amount of stuff that was coming in as they grew. So we did a few things. Uh, you know, we created a consignment intake system. We put the burden of the data entry on the customer, on the seller. So they would, and the sellers didn't want to come to the store and wait in a two hour line either. So we kind of made it like the DMV. If you entered your stuff and create, you know, they'd be able to print out a ticket that said what they had. So all the employee at the counter needed to do was just check it in and bam, it was good to go. And you know, it's funny because sometimes efficiency breeds or, or exposes a completely different kind of other inefficiency. Sure, so yeah. we kind of had to chase that down the line. But once we got it figured out, it was, it was going really well. I, I actually like doing stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. Now, I didn't know you could write software. I don't. I don't, but I got a whole room of people. You got a whole team? I got a whole team of people to do it in a lot of different places. Right, maybe so, you can help me. I, You know, I'd like to. I'll give anyone... Uh, a, at least a decent conversation about helping them with that. So, you know, another thing that uh, I found in my experience with retail is if, you know, sometimes you buy inventory and it just doesn't sell for a number of like reasons. buying crypto. That's not worth anything. No, that is, that's what we get for buying vapor. <laughs> this is actual, like, okay. You actually bought something. 
Yes. Oh, okay. Now, even if it's at a fraction of the price that you paid for it, you can still liquidate most crypto pretty quickly. However, if you have a truckload of somethings and you don't have a buyer, that shit can weight you down in a hurry. Now, you know, most businesses don't have the amount of capital that they need to stock all of the inventory that they have in the store. You aware of that? Yeah, absolutely. So they do a form of financing through companies that's known as floor planning. Yep. And so let's just say you have a million dollar credit line and you buy half a million dollars worth of stuff that has now been in your store and unsold for 12 months. They will actually reduce your credit line by the amount that that is equal to because they figure that if you can't make good decisions with buying your inventory and selling it, why would they want to give you even more money to do it with? So that's why you see a lot of these retailers having these black tag type sales and just basically giving stuff away because they get if they get too much of it on hand, then they can't even buy other inventory. And on top of it, they're paying interest on it. So you can imagine how hard that was for uh, car dealers. Yeah. Who had like a, let's say a $40,000 car, they got to pay 5% a year, 10% a year, whatever the floor floor plan number is. Do the same, that becomes real money. Do the same right? retail financiers like Textron and GE do it for cars too? I'm not sure who the companies were that did it, but they, you know, all the car dealers use floor plan and stuff that, like and that. You, and that's clearly something that and they're talking like millions and millions of, oh, millions yeah. of dollars. And of you're cars. also, ta- you're also talking about, uh, you know, sometimes floating a little bit of it too. Cause you know, you're going to wait for other people's money to come in oh, like yeah. from the bank. And, yep. and then you're also selling a product that is very much depreciating from the moment you yep, get it. Exactly. So anyway, if you have slow moving stuff, ditch it. Get rid of it. Cut ties to it. Um, you know, another thing too is sometimes you buy ten of something and you sell nine of them. And when you look at your quote unquote profit for that, you think you've made a bunch of money, but you actually need to take the cost of the tenth item out of your total profit until you sell it. So sometimes you just got to get rid of a few extra that's, things. That's accounting. You you can make it look like you're making money or not making money. That's the that's the beautiful part about it. That accounting. should be our next episode. Yeah. The math. The magic of accounting. <laughs> I'm not sure I want. Yeah, to, I'm not sure I want to put that out there. All right. Um, you know, one of the things that makes a lot of retail businesses and uh, any business actually go downhill in a hurry is they become reliant on discounting. It's like no matter what, they're discounting everything. Um, the car manufacturers were really well known for that. I can't remember which one it was. It maybe GE, and they're given like $500 cash back. Well, then their margin slipped, and then they got to the point where they could no longer afford to give $500 cash back for a car. People quit buying the cars. You meant GM. Oh, was it GM? You meant GM. It's a GE. Oh, GE. Yeah, GM. GM. I thought GE made everything. That, they might. But, like, I've seen uh, trucks on TV for sale, and they're like $10,000 off. Is that real? So when I see that as a consumer, I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is more like how Sears prices are. It's like off of what? Sears, I worked at Sears, and everything was always on sale. And we would just, that washer was on sale one week, and the next week it's the one next to it that's a different color. My, wife, sale. Will, my, like, wife, my wife will say that. She'll say, well, this is on sale. And I'll say, it's always on I'm sale. Like, it's always on sale, or it's about to be, or it's going to be. And then also, you know, you should probably know that retailers get to most of the time set the retail price so they can yeah. say it's 50% like off. The price is right off. price that nobody pays. But what I'm talking about is the constant uh, economy of, uh, 
giving things away at a yeah. discount, which kills your margin. And, you know, that's basically what's going to keep fueling the business going forward. So honestly, discounting is 65% of the time in a very unscientific stat, a bad habit by salespeople and businesses. They just get so reliant on drawing people in with the discount that they, that the times where they have to, well, they either desensitize the buyer or the client or their, whoever it is, or, you know, they don't sell shit during the times when it's full price. So, you know, that's not the greatest habit. Now, whether you're an existing retail business or a startup, or maybe run a massive company, you shouldn't be afraid to reinvent your own model. Well, I, so I think a good example of this is all the subscription businesses that exist right. now. So my wife you signed Microsoft. What about that? My wife signed up for um, some um, online shopping subscription thing where they send her a box of clothes every month. It's like some company called Dia or something. And my wife loves it because every month she gets a box and has like a pair of pants and a couple yeah. of shirts, whatever. And um, she loves it. Like she has like her own little personal shopper that writes her a little personal note every month and picks out clothes for her. And I got another friend here in Kansas city. That's got a business. That's like a wine subscription. You know, it's um, 50 bucks a month or a bucks a month, whatever it is. So it's an added value. Thing, and, it's an added value thing. Yeah. Like you, you, it's uh, you know, Blake Miller from Homebase was talking about, it's funny. It's two episodes in a row where Blake's name came up. So good for Blake, but he mentioned time arbitrage, right? You can't get any more of it. You right. can, determine better ways to use it. But if you give people their time back and you make things convenient, we've spent a lot of time talking about that. And that's why I use the Amazon app because yeah. it's convenient. And we like, we subscribe to, uh, I think it's Tinkerbox. They send us like a monthly little box. It's like a, a, a steam learning kind of thing like, for my son. Yeah. We have something like that for younger kids. Yeah, I My think, son. I can't remember what it's called. We, when, when we had dogs, we had the bark box. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real big thing these days for but, startups, but, these different subscription services. Past that, though, even the industries that we're in, software as a service didn't even exist too long ago. That's when you were actually buying discs yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's a good example of a reinvention of a lot of, you know, of the, of the business model. I mean, overall, would you want to open a retail store right now? No, hell no. I'm not worried about opening it. My problem with retail is it's just a huge commitment, meaning like you got to be open at X and you got to be there till Y. And that's getting worse. Like people expect you to be open later. That's another thing too is, you know, internet's open 24 hours a day. Someone pulls up at your store at 6.15 and you're already gone. Well, you might've lost might have lost guys. I was going to say, you know, having fixed hours might be an improvement over having a, a software product. I got to support 24 hours a day. Yeah. Or work on 24 or live hours chat. I got a man. Speaking of which, I probably a got a massive amount of live chat waiting for me at Gigabook because we've got a lot of people signing up lately. So, you know, I don't think I, I, I'm not bullish or bearish on retail. I am cautiously optimistic and I think you got to be smart. I don't think retail will be for you. I can't see you sitting in the store and that's the same reason I didn't want to open. I didn't want to do retail anymore. I think we should open up a bunch of uh, go-kart tracks or something and all those old Toys R Us buildings. I think we should just buy a couple of go-karts. All right, let's do that. All right, man. All right. All right, we're going to go do that. We'll see you guys next time. I'm going to buy them on Amazon.
<laughs> See you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.